0: Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. For our Palm Sunday service, we finish our series, Covered. Our expectations about God are often not in line with who He is. We will be challenged to look at Jesus and to uncover our own expectations about God and to let them go, so that we may follow Jesus in our lives. But I think we can start today with a very relatable moment in our social lives. How many of you have ever gone into a social situation with a friend or somebody that you know really well, with people that you don't know well? Say for example, uh, you're hanging out with your friend, you guys have your own rhythm, you have your own humor and stuff like that, they invite you out to go to a Guardians game or a, a Browns game or, or something like that. I'm thinking of guys' stuff. I'm sorry. That's just what comes to my brain immediately. You go to the, the art thing at the, at the mall, ladies, right? Guys also like the art stuff, too. I, I don't know. Whatever. Any case. <laughs> and you are really excited, but at the same time, you sort of hold back some of your jokes or some of your opinions, or some of the pieces of your personality, right? Have we ever done this before? If you are about to get married, or you are dating somebody, and you meet their family for the first time, you don't share everything about your life with the family, because you know what? If you just share that much, you're not sure how they're going to think about you, right? Or how many of us have the amazing wisdom of going into Thanksgiving dinner and saying all of your political opinions right at the beginning of the meal. Amen? You don't, right? You cover it up. We do. We hold it back. Because what we have recognized is that people are in different places. People have different thoughts. And people aren't always accepting of everything that they find out about a person, right? We do it too. It's not just others. We can be just as guilty of that. And so socially what we do is until we get to a point in our relationship that we know them, that we trust, that is when we begin to share some of these things that may not be accepted as well. It's in this reality that I want to share with you about the reality of Jesus of Nazareth and his ministry. Jesus began his ministry in his early 30s, or maybe late 20s, really depending on however you want to go about it. And Jesus went around to his local town, and then to some other places that weren't, what would you say? They're not the center of the world. These are towns, good folks, who are just trying to get by, trying to work hard, trying to do different kinds of things, but also are struggling. And he would go to people who have been left behind by synagogues. In other words, they weren't good enough to learn underneath a rabbi. He would go to people who were invalid, people who needed healing, people who were rejected by the the people of that day. He would go to people on the margins and he would do these amazing things, miracles. Somebody who has never walked ever can walk at, at the moment's notice. He would teach in ways that nobody had ever heard before. And sometimes you might begin to wonder, well, why isn't he going to the center of the world? Why isn't he going to the big cities? Why isn't he doing things in front of everybody? In our day and age, why wouldn't he have a camera right and ready and a press conference ready, right? Because continuously throughout Jesus' ministry, his three-year ministry, You will hear him say to disciples, to people who he has healed randomly, to a bunch of people on the street, don't tell anybody about me. (laughs) Don't tell people who, who healed you. And some of us might, when we read the scriptures, we might think, why would Jesus do this? Why in the world would he cover himself? And the answer is simple. It's the same reason that you don't bring up certain topics at Thanksgiving. Because it immediately escalates a conflict. It's very practical. And there's there's other reasons why Jesus doesn't do it. But this is one of the reasons. Jesus' ministry would have lasted under a year if he would have just gone to Jerusalem and said, Hey, I'm the Messiah. Get him out of here, man. No way. And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate his procession into the center of his world, where the seats of power are, are, where where the seats of power are, where there are all kinds of jostlings for for influence among the people. Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus makes known who he is. He uncovers everything. And if you, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, it takes five days for him to die after revealing who he is. Today, we celebrate, but in a completely different way than what we're used to. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today, beginning with verse 28. It will be on the screens if you want to get your Bibles out or your apps. But we read these words in the Gospel of Luke as Jesus processes, goes into Jerusalem. After Jesus said this, he continued on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as Jesus came to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. He said, go into the village over there, and when you enter it, you will find tied up a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If someone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, its master needs it. Those who had been sent found it exactly as he had said. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, its master needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their clothes on the colt, and lifted Jesus onto it. And as Jesus rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. And as Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven's. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, scold your disciples. Tell them to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. Jesus, as he processes into Jerusalem, is surrounded by those who he has healed, by those who he has called, by those who have seen and heard everything that he has done. And as he comes into to Jerusalem, you need to really understand that him coming in with the people shouting the things that they are shouting and doing the things that they are doing are essentially crowning him king. Now, it's a lot different than how most kings process into a city. Most kings come in with very expensive garments and they, po- they put the garments on the road in front of them. They have an army that goes in front of them. There's riches displayed. And a king comes often on a horse because horses are what you ride in battle. Don't ride a donkey in a battle. Don't do it. they got a mind of their own. And so immediately, even though everything about this situation says, the king is here, there are so many things that are different than what is normal. These coats that are put on the ground, they are not expensive garments. They're just the garments that they had. There's probably holes in them. They are well used. They are tattered. But that's what they have. He's riding, of course, a colt, a donkey, which is just so odd. Everything about Jesus' procession into Jerusalem screams, he's the king, but he's a different kind of king. This king is not just another king in the wheel of power that turns in world history. It's not like Game of Thrones. It's not like your typical pieces uh, or stories that you read where it's just the next leader and what they can do terribly. Because the way that Jesus did things and the people who he went to were not rich, were not powerful, were not the people you go to to get power. He went to the most needy, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the poor, those who have been oppressed by this world. And those people who he has gone to say, blessed be the king. You need to understand something. They are, when when you were to say blessed are the king in the the ancient Middle East, this is what you're saying. This guy is our king, not Caesar in Rome. This guy is our king, not the Jewish figurehead king that Rome has installed and does Rome's bidding. This guy is the king. It is a staking a claim that, quite frankly, would be seen as blasphemy and heresy to those who are religious, and it would be a crime in the eyes of the government overseeing them. So when we hear blessed as the king, know that they are staking a claim that can get them arrested, imprisoned, or even killed. But this ragtag group of disciples, this ragtag group of people who have been healed, who have heard Jesus, believe it with all of their hearts that he indeed is the one that the world had been waiting for, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah. And his army isn't an army. His nation isn't, isn't just the same kind of people. His people are the people who were left behind by the rest of the world. R. Alan Culpepper says it this way, Jesus was a king, but not no ordinary one. He is the king of fishermen and tax collectors, Samaritans, harlots, blind men, demoniacs, and cripples. Yeah, he's going to get real far with that nation. But that's the point. Even though the people of his day expected Jesus to go into Jerusalem and just get Rome out and establish law and order and make everything what they want it to be, he does the opposite. He goes into Jerusalem and gives himself to violence, to the people. All he brings is peace and love and acceptance that flips the way the world works on its head. Because that's the reality of Jesus. Jesus, in what he did and how he taught, taught a way that nobody else lives. In a world where we are very much obsessed with self-fulfillment, in a world where... Uh, the powers that be try to get rich or die trying or just get rich. Where people jostle and compete with each other for resources. Where people who get hurt choose to hurt in return to get even. Jesus taught all opposites of that. Jesus lived all of that. And when Jesus is teaching this way and living this way, he is sh- it's, it's powerful. The reason why it's powerful is because the people who have gained everything from the way that the world currently works has so much to lose to a person who is redefining the way the world is supposed to work. That's what Joel Green says. Jesus is doing nothing less than redefining the way the world works. This is why he just doesn't go to the kings and to the people in the synagogues and say, hey, this is the way that the world works. He goes to the people who need the way the world works to change. And it's also why he says, don't tell anybody about this. By the way, even though Jesus says this, he is ignored a lot. (laughs) I want you to think about sitting on on your bottom. I have a toddler, and I say bottom. By sitting on your bottom (laughs) for 30 years, not being able to walk, being healed, and being able to walk and run and doing all kinds of things, you try keeping that in to yourself. You don't. Something new has come, and the person who has done this is obviously somebody different from all of the other leaders of this world. But those who got rich after exploiting those who have the least, those who have the most ability and charisma and talent, who find themselves in positions of power to be able to get the most out of life, They have the most to lose. So Jesus covers himself up for all those years because practically he wouldn't have been able to help those who needed the help in the three years that he had. He wouldn't be able to teach his disciples the way that he called them to live. I want you to hear this for a second, okay? Okay. This this is another spoiler alert. One One of Jesus' disciples betrays him this week, okay? This disciple was with Jesus for three years. Watched him do everything, heard everything. Guess what? He still decided to betray him. In our school, in our school classrooms, one out of 12 is a pretty significant Failure, But then you find out that the disciples actually desert him, the majority of them. And you start to think, man, was Jesus just a big failure in what he taught and how he lived with his disciples? When Jesus shows himself to be the Messiah, to be the king, what did they do? They execute him. Everything about this week is drenched in our minds, in the world's standards, as failure. And so coming back to the theme that we've been in for weeks, we sometimes look at God in ways and say, God, you have to be this for you to be God. How many have ever heard that statement, maybe even uttered it yourself? God can't be good if these kinds of things happen. How is God even present in a world that is filled with chaos and pain and suffering? Right? You've heard it before. You might have even experienced it before. And we feel like the God that is proclaimed by the church isn't present anymore. But I need you to remember something. When Jesus shows who he is, who is the Son of God, God incarnate, God put on flesh, even then he is rejected by those who are powerful and even those who are most close to him. So if you've ever thought to yourself, oh, goodness gracious, I would worship God if I could just see the sign. I would worship God if I could if if I could just get an answer to this question. I would worship God if everything was just good and dandy for me. I'm here to tell you that's not God. God was fully revealed in Jesus, everybody. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God wants in the world? Look at what Jesus did. You want to know what to do in your life? Look, listen and hear and be the teachings that he taught. So in this moment, as he goes into Jerusalem and is showing who God is, When everything is there, he is still rejected. He's even rejected by the Pharisees who are there. Hey, teacher, tell them to stop. They are saying terrible things. And he answers in a way that is just, well, you might go, wow, that's arrogant. Because if I told them to stop, the stones of creation would proclaim me king. At the end of the day, God will be worshipped by his creation. And our willingness, our willingness or unwillingness to accept God doesn't change the fact that he is God. So our last step in this series on this Palm Sunday is what are the things that we expect of God that aren't Him? That isn't God. If anything, I hope that this week, this, this series has shown you who God is, that He meets you where you're at, that He is present, that He leads, that He's not in one spot, that He's bigger than this world. He is what He is. You can't contain Him he shows up in the unexpected places and he does all these things. I hope that this has helped you, but the last piece is where we are. What expectations do we have on God? What expectations do we have on Jesus that keep us from accepting him fully? God's been covered all this time. Now it's time to uncover our expectations of God and leave them behind. So, what are the things that you expect of God? Is you, do you expect God to be a God that gets even, seeks righteous retribution upon those who have hurt, hurt me? Some of us do. Do you have a God who shows his blessing by gifting people with financial wealth as opposed to those who do not? This is something that we struggle with. You can't tell me that we don't. We as a culture love to listen to millionaires and billionaires for all their solutions when all the solutions is right there in Jesus Christ. Do you have an expectation that God agrees with you in everything? You laugh, but so often, we can do that. We can do that. When we hear the words that God is for me, God is for you, it's not everything that you think is true. He wants what is best for you, which might mean things that you don't like, that you don't agree with, that you are uncomfortable with. Do you have a God who excuses your sins, but not the sins of those people? We do it. Lord, help us. We expect this of God. And we put ourselves higher than that person who we think is actually, their sin is actually way worse than ours. Jesus came to forgive all. And all of us have fallen short. So we best stop thinking that, oh, I said a bad word as compared to that person's adultery. They're the same, y'all. Do you have an expectation of God that doesn't allow him to be who he is? If he is who he is, and he will be who he will be, do we put expectations on God? God has to be like this, or I'm not going to worship him. Whew, that's a, That pretty much makes you the center of the universe right there, doesn't it? Does God look like you? Does your God act like you? Does your God join or is a part of the same affiliations that you're a part of? Does God... Is God completely on your terms? If so, I got bad news for you. He's bigger than that. He's better than that. And he shows who he is in Jesus Christ. So when you read, when you hear people who use parts of this book as justification for what they're doing, and it wouldn't be what Jesus would do, remember, Jesus is God fully revealed. It's not a book. It's a person who lived and died and resurrected in this week and changed the world. And he taught things like, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who are merciful. I can't be merciful. That person's going to get ahead of me in life. They're going to get the better job. They're going to do all these things. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. But everybody else is doing wrong. Why can't I do a little bit of wrong? Blessed are those who are needy, who are hurting, who need to be comforted because God comes to those in need. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. And you will find that he defies your expectations for who God is and is greater than them in every single way. Because it's completely different from everything that you've ever experienced from anything in this world. The beautiful thing about it is, is, and I'm going to do some... I'm going to share some instances where Jesus defies expectations so much. And some of you are going to say, man, I really love that story, but I don't love that story. We can do this. We have salad bar Jesus. For those of you who remember salad bars, they're not near as, I guess Ponderosa is still down the road, amen? Ooh, ooh. we so often like to pick and choose pieces of Jesus. See, he fits within that political affiliation that I hold. See, I can judge people in this moment. Hold the phone. You have to take it all together. This Jesus, when asked, who is my neighbor? Who are the people that I need to love? Gives a parable about a Samaritan. Now, I need you to understand something. Samaritans were hated by the people he was talking to. Hated. To use a Samaritan in a story as a hero, well, that just sort of flips everything on its head, doesn't it? So you're telling me that I should be looking at the Samaritan in a good light? Yeah. Your neighbor is is the Samaritans who you hate. Recognize that God loves every person all of that person. We cannot separate ourselves from each other along the ways that the world wants us to separate them. This Jesus is the one who stands in front of a woman who is caught in adultery. She done wrong. The law allows death to be carried out by those who are righteous. Right now, I hope that rings some bells about how we are to be when it comes to those who have done wrong. And he says, those who are without fault throw the first stone. They all leave. And he's standing there because he didn't sin. Because he is God. And she's terrified. He just looks at her and goes, is nobody here to... Judge and condemn you? No, no. Well, neither do I. Go and live, go, go, it's it's there, come on. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus just doesn't judge and condemn, He doesn't do it. Like, there's grace here, this is so nice. But then He gives her truth: don't do this anymore. You're running from your problems in all the wrong ways. You're coping with the things that you have in your life with something that hurts you even more. Do you see that? Oh, we can't judge. Also, live your life free of sin. This is the Jesus, and this is is the hard one because we're in America, who tells the rich young ruler who has everything he needs to sell all of it to follow him. We hate it when Jesus talks about economics when we live in a superpower. We do. Oh, but he's talking about this person over here, is he? Remove the expectations that you have about God. What is he calling us to be? This is the Jesus who everybody expected to ride into Rome on a horse and slay all the evil people and enact righteous justice and instead died at the end of the week. Jesus coming into Jerusalem in this triumphal entry, this procession, this kingly, is not what we expect. And so as we accept him, may we learn to accept the things that we don't expect and begin to live in the ways that he has taught and lived in all things. For this is the way that the world was designed to be. It wasn't designed to have all the problems that we got. It was designed to be a place of love and service generosity to each other in such a way, well, that heaven would be on earth. May we, his followers, his people, journey with him into Jerusalem, knowing full well the sacrifice it might cost us. And may we be willing to live in the way that he has given. (music)